Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best founders and investors to help you scale a business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is a very special one. Uh, it's completely outside of our typical guests, and that's on purpose. I think that you will have a lot of fun with, with this episode. So it's with great pleasure that I announce and I present Michael Altschuler, a global keynote speaker and executive coach. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me on the show. And by the way, 99% of the people in the world, even though you speak a different language as a native tongue, Portuguese, 99% of the people in the world could not pronounce my name as well as you did. My hat is off to you. It took me 20 years to say it that good, Mike. So well done. That was great. Thank you very much. <laughs> I feel much better after yeah. 260 episodes uh, without <laughs> speaking my my my, my natural uh, my native language. <laughs> yes, that's, that's that's beautiful. So uh, well well done. It's it's great to be here. Uh, as you mentioned in the in the onset, it's a little different. You shared a little bit about your your demographic, your audience, and in order to scale a business, one of the things that's typically overlooked is People need to scale themselves. They, they have to get better before their business gets better as leaders, exactly. as associates in a company. And that's really where I shifted 20 years ago. My core focus is helping companies not only get the right people on the bus, hire the right people, but make sure they consistently are performing at their highest level and getting, as a result of that, getting the best results. And the programs and, and I have morning huddles, 15-minute huddles that ensure that every uh, twice or three times a week that we have these huddles that we're ensuring that we're instilling and reinforcing in their people the, the tips, the strategies, the techniques on how to become the best version of themselves in their position in order to do the best job they can to reach the company's goals. Right. And uh, one of the main inspirations to look at your profile and then to invite you to, to join me on the show, and I think it's it's always great uh, to have new ideas, new inspirations, and uh, and also a great resource for leaders like you are um, to inspire people. And uh, the quote that uh, got me obsessed about having you on the show has been, the bad news is time flies, and the good news is you are the pilot. And I saw this in a, in a revenue or sales kickoff in a company that I uh, advise. And, and then I saw your story, and I found it uh, super amazing, uh, and, and that's why I'm, I'm, I have a huge pleasure to have you here, but if you would like to share a little bit more about yourself, how it's been uh, your story and how did you end up doing what you do today, uh, that would be amazing to start. Well, well thank you. I um, uh, live in Florida now, uh, originally from New Jersey, and I had a, a company that I started at 21 years old and out of a 650 square foot apartment, typically the entrepreneurial start, either in a little apartment or a garage, no different than anyone else. And right. I, I actually got fired from my, I was selling copiers as my first job and I got fired, inappropriately fired. I mean, they fired me for the wrong reasons. But remember, as Napoleon Hill said in his classic book, Think and Grow Rich, within every challenge lie the seeds of equivalent or greater benefit. So in the midst of challenge, it's difficult to always see it, but it's there if you look and if you reflect back. So I got fired from my job. And uh, I said, okay, I did it for a year. I was breaking records, selling copiers. I'm going to start my own copier company. I, how do I do this? 
And I started yeah. with one copier in my apartment, my 650 square foot apartment. And then I bought another one and sold it, got a trade in. And before you know it, these copiers are invading my apartment. When they started hitting the bathroom and the bedroom, I said, okay, I, think <laughs> I, need, a little, I need a little office here. So right. I, the, the, the end of the story is I grew the company uh, to a multi-million dollar company, sold to a multi-billion dollar company, okay. a uh, publicly held company called Icon Office Solutions. And uh, there's a law that most people don't know about in New Jersey where my company was, that when you sell your company in New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania in February, the dead of winter, you have to move to Boca Raton, Florida, where it's warm and nice. And, well, <laughs> that. and I, I'm not one to break the law. So off I went to the sunny skies of, of Florida and the palm trees and the beaches. And uh, that's when I started uh, professionally speaking and also executive coaching. And I have to tell you, my first 20 years, interestingly enough, was on sales. I, I was very, you know, Donald Trump, and I'm not, it's not a political stand, was my largest client. He did millions of business with me years and years and years ago, 30 years ago. And uh, enterprise sales, major accounts was always my thing. And uh, I have to tell you that uh, when I came down here, I thought that's what I was going to coach on. That's what I was going to teach. And not only my keynotes, but I do the morning huddles and everything else, right. the, the sales training. And around 20 years into it, I had an epiphany. I said, I don't care whether it's my sales training or whose sales methodology a company uses, you always have Pareto's 80-20 rule in play, where 80% of the sales are made by only 20% of the people. Think right. about, why is that? So, yep. you know, great question. Why is that? Right. And what I realized and what we got, got me on a new course for the rest of my career, which is, brings us to this point right now, is that what would happen if I can get the middle 60%, let's put aside the bottom 20%, the middle 60%, what would happen if I could help them get to the top 20%, the top 20% to top 20% of that or top 4%. Why aren't they there? What's preventing them? And I realize it has nothing to do with the sales training because everyone's exposed to the same sales training. It has to do with the sales behavior. And that's when I started evolving into, and now is 100% what I do, of driving behavior that changes results and helps companies grow faster. That's a that, that that's a great point. We we like to say a lot here on the show that uh, the company is not able to grow faster uh, than the leaders. So in order to be able to scale up a company, we need to scale up uh, first the the captain of of the company, then the leadership team, and then all the layers of leaders across the company, namely the individual contributors that that are also uh, leaders in an organization. And having everyone on the same page uh, is is also a, a hard work to do. So, uh, what have been some of your some of your lessons learned uh, teaching uh, leaders to to grow in in different areas of their life, right? Because I think that nowadays I'm I'm also following some people that are giving good examples. Being a good family member, being a good person, also makes you a better leader and a better CEO, right? So. What yeah, are some I mean, of, your, of your thoughts on, on peak yeah, performance? Yeah, yeah. That's a great question. And there's so many elements that are kind of behind the curtain. So when I pull back the curtain for my clients, executive clients that I have that have, you know, $600 million companies, larger, some smaller, and, and leaders that I work with, what I found was no one can see their own blind spots. So we, we get that. And in order for anything to get better, they have to get better. So we cannot produce 
and be better unless we get better first. Gandhi said, be the change that you wish to see in the world. We have to be the change. And the thing that goes along with that is we are human beings, we're not human doings. We have to mm -hmm. be more before we do more, before we have more. Love it. So th that, that is critical. It's essential that only when we get better, when you look at pro sports teams, it's in the preparation and the development of getting better that they're allowed to excel. I'm, I'm thrilled when I watch, I get super excited at the end of the NFL football game. <laughs> and I can't wait for the interviews. They interview the star player or players. And I can't wait for that moment that they're going to share a gem when they're asked, well, Tom Brady, greatest of all time, you threw for 300 yards today, no interceptions, you, another victory. You know, how did you do it? I don't know why I get excited because they always respond. Every single yes. athlete responds the same way. The first thing they say is, I couldn't, they give credit to their teammates. Big lesson. They say, I couldn't have done it without a great front line who protected me and gave me time to throw. My receivers caught everything that I threw in their general vicinity. They ran great routes. They were awesome. And our defense, we won the game because our defense held the other team down to X number of points. Oh, the first thing they always do is give credit to their team. Excellent. You want to be a great leader? Give credit to your team. But you have to build your team and allow them to be great. So that's number one. So there's no surprise there. I still don't know why I get excited. The second thing they say is, and let's say they're having a great season, and let's say they crush the other team, mm -hmm. and they said, well, you're on a roll now, you're doing great, uh, your team is going to the Super Bowl, let's That's say it's the Eagles, I'm an Eagles fan, you're going to the Super Bowl, they say, you must be happy as could be. They'll always say this, we need to, we did good today, but you know what, we need to go back and watch the film and see the areas that we need to improve upon. The goal here, as Ray Kroc, the founder of McDonald's said, when you're green, you grow, and when you're ripe, you're rocked. What are you doing personally and as a leader for your people that are continuing the process to have your people grow? When they grow and get better and transform into the best person and, and leader or salesperson, whatever position they, they have, into that best person for that role and continue to elevate their game, and they can do that consistently. You have processes in place to allow that to happen. My huddle would be one of those things that I help companies do that. Then all of a sudden, you're going to have a better company because people are going to be doing a better job because they're better and it's going to be more consistent. And part of that, to answer your question, is you hear mindset and there are specifics. And if you want me to, uh, I'll be happy to dive into there's Absolutely. mindset, there's belief systems, there's self-talk, there's habits, rituals, and routines. You mentioned what you do at home, your values. You know, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. What do you stand for? What are the principles that your company stands for? And if you're not, if that's not who you are, if you're not measuring that, doing your own uh, evaluation, what Zig Ziglar used to say, a checkup from your neck up and saying, mm -hmm. hey, am I living my values? Am I aware of them? Am I clear on them? Am I intentional and doing them every day? It's not going to be done. You need to. You know, you inspect what you expect, not only with others, but with yourself. You know, so I would say it all starts with the guiding principles of a company. You say, what's the overarching, you know, uh, thing that a company needs to first look at? And that's their vision or mission statement. You know, that's, that's who we are. It's why we right. do what we do. 
It's the type of people we want to bring in and attract. It's the value we deliver and why we deliver that value, how we differentiate ourselves in a crowded marketplace. So Zig Ziglar used to say there's two types of people in the world, wandering generalities and meaningful specifics. <laughs> the wandering generalities let the tide of life take them wherever it takes them and meaningful specifics say, this is who I am. This is who I want to become. And this is the roadmap, the blueprint on how I'm going to get there. And the truth of the matter is I have five values that guide my life. This first and foremost to honor and serve the Lord with everything I think, say, and do. Be the best husband, my amazing wife, Emmy. Be the best dad to my amazing son, Kyle, and my two amazing stepsons, Dex and Julian. Number three, to serve others with the gifts, or number four, to serve others with the gifts, talents, and abilities to make an impact in other people's lives. And the last one is to be in the best mental, physical, and spiritual shape to serve my other four values. If any leader or any person is not clear on who they are by core values, they're, they're going to be wandering around. They're not going to be clear on, was I who I was supposed to be today? How do you rest your head on the pillow at night saying, yeah, today I live according to who I said I am and I want to be? And that it all starts with that. And the mission and vision of a company, it starts with that too. Am I living that mission out every single day? Do I exemplify? We don't want customers. We want zealots and ambassadors and raven fans. <laughs> how, do we, how, do, how do we reverse engineer and make that happen? Our people need to feel that, be that, and do that. Absolutely. And you have an amazing uh, story about resilience that is uh, an important trait for uh, any leader that you shared about your kids, the way your kid convinced you uh, to buy a, a small a small gift. <laughs> so I've been seeing some of your some of your videos and and uh, past talks, and I really enjoyed that story. I think that the well, audience will have fun as well. I appreciate you bringing that up. It's it's probably my signature story, and I tell a lot of stories because I okay. learned we can, learn, we can learn so much from kids. So Absolutely. if you've been blessed with kids, or if you have nieces or nephews, and you're listening to this, or if you ever saw a child, that covers everybody, right? Uh, <laughs> you'll be able to definitely relate to this. That you know, certain things that we possess as children, we lose as we become adults. We lose our belief that anything is possible by failure. Failure tells us we're not good enough. People tell us we're not good enough. And we make that, we give meaning to that and say, okay, you'll only get as far as your beliefs. As Henry Ford said, you know, I throw a lot of quotes out there because I think they're meaningful and short, is whether you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're right. Your beliefs dictate who you are and what you can become as far as how great you become. And we all put limits, some more than others. So there's empowering beliefs and self-limiting beliefs. And what happens when we fail, we start giving meaning to that failure that we're not worthy, we're not good, or other people tell us, and then we don't try anymore. Well, kids try. When a little kid is two years old, he get he he or or excuse me, is months old and tries to walk, or she tries to walk for the first time, and they fall 500 times. Do they ever say to themselves, "Hey, you know what? Just walk." <laughs> not good at this. <laughs> not 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 a good idea. No, they never give meaning to the fact that they can't walk. They just keep trying. So that's the leading. So why do we lose that as adults? One of the core foundational principles of success, and I have a couple of podcasts as well, and I've interviewed, I'm friends with the shark, original shark from Shark Tank, and people that have had huge, huge companies, billion dollar companies. And what I've learned as success leaves clues, as you know, and there's a common denominator of success, 
is that believe me, and you know everyone listening to this, is that success is built on failures. That's what we build. It's on misses, not on what works, because eventually it will work. Whether you look at Edison's example with the light bulb, you could the stories go on and on, or Henry Ford's going bankrupt. Uh, you know, the stories go on forever in terms of how those that are super successful failed their way to success. So Marty Seligman, a top behavioral psychologist who's friends with Dr. Carol Dweck, who I had the good fortune of speaking with. We hear about mindset and she literally wrote the book called Mindset. She is the professor of psychology at Stanford University. She and I talked and because I told you about mindset, I wanted to get it really from the horse's mouth. I said, what is mindset? She talked about growth and fix. And she talks about a conversation and a collaboration with Dr. Marty Seligman on the subject of persistence and resilience. And uh, the outcome of this study that Marty Seligman did was this, that uh, persistence and resilience are twice as important, twice as important to success than talent and IQ, which in my case is a very good thing. I wasn't <laughs> the tool in the tool I chest. joined you as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, twice as important. So that, what that translates to is that two thirds of success is your ability to get up after you get knocked down, brush yourself off, and continue to forge forward and learn something from it and grow from it. And that's what it's about. So my son, who is now 31, which pretty much makes me old, uh, he, <laughs> he, he, is, uh, he knows now I tell a lot of stories and lessons I learned from him. And I think he's wise enough now he's going to start asking for a royalty. If, if I'm not mistaken, I'm sensing that. <laughs> So he's a businessman. So I think I brought him up to the point that he says, Dad, you're telling these stories, you're making money. I think we're going to share it in the sunlight. So I, I, I pick him up from school one day, which I did often when he was younger, is after I sold my company and I had time and I devoted it to him, part of my values, and uh, picked him up from school three times a week. And I said, Kyle, uh, where do you want to go? And he's, uh, he's six years old. He says, Daddy, I want to go to the store just to look at some Beanie Babies. The kids don't look, they want you to buy, but it's a come on. And I fell for it as a dad. So we walk in the store and he walks right past the basket filled with three and four hour Beanie Babies. He goes right to the front counter, behind the front counter in a beautiful glass enclosure are six Beanie Babies. I know these are not the three and four dollar Beanie Babies and so does he. He says, excuse me, ma'am, may I see that Beanie Baby in the middle? And she takes it down he says, what's this Beanie Baby's name, please? They all have names. And she tells him. He says, how much? At this point, I am <laughs> totally out of control of this situation. Totally. She says $65. The shark was ready to attack. <laughs> Close number one, my son Kyle looks up at me with his adorable eyes. And he says, if you love me, will you buy me that Beanie Baby? And I said... Kyle, daddy loves you with all his heart, honey, but I'm not spending $65 on a Beanie Baby. Forget it. And we walk away and we're two feet away from the front counter and he does what melts every parent. Close number two right there. He wraps his tender little arms around my leg. Again, he adoringly looks up at me and he says, I love you so much. Won't you please buy me that Beanie Baby? <laughs> and I, my heart is melting at this point. And I stooped down to his level and I looked him in the eyes and said, Kyle, you know daddy loves you with all his heart, but I, I, I can't 
I can't buy that Beanie Baby for $65, I'm sorry. And we make our way, we get to the middle of the store. I can see the exit door in the distance. This is like winning a, scoring a winning touchdown in the Super Bowl for me at this point. <laughs> and and I'm, hold, I'm holding his hand and he breaks free of my hand and he starts stomping his feet hysterically on the floor, screaming, buy me the Beanie Baby, buy me the Beanie Baby. I call this the make the scene clothes. Now we've seen kids have temper tantrums in stores. Intuitively, they know that in order to stop the embarrassment of the scene they're making, a parent will buy it. How they know this intuitively is, is just brilliant and amazing. And that's why they do it. They know if they do that, you'll right. buy in order to stop that embarrassment. I got down at his level again. I said, Kyle, stop this behavior. It's not gonna work. I'm not buying your Beanie Baby. He immediately stopped. Close number three. I'm a sales trainer at this point. I'm super impressed. I'm ready to hire him for my company. <laughs> he, he now, I hold his hand a little tighter. He breaks free of my hand again and he plasters himself against the wall. I think, what am I in for here? He says, I go up to him. I said, what are you doing, Kyle? He says, daddy, I am not budging an inch until you buy me that Beanie Baby. He is applying the physical action clothes. It took me 10 years to learn that I have to physically remove him from the property in order to prevent the sale from happening. That's page 602 of the expert closing book. How we knew that, I have no clue. That I have to physically take an action to prevent the sale from happening. That's like you starting to write out an order for someone and filling in information. They have to stop you in order to prevent the sale from happening. He's applying that on me. Brilliant. Can't, don't understand where he got that from, but close number four, I pick him up and I throw him over my shoulder, gently, of course, and we make our way out the door. I get to the front door, and before I'm able to open it, he taps me on the shoulder. Yes, Kyle, what do you want? He says, Daddy, he says, do you know why that Beanie Baby is $65? I said, no, Kyle, why is it $65? He said, because it's retired. They're not making any more. It's an investment. It's going to go up in value. He has value selling me. That's How's he closing me again now on value? I'm like, I'm mind blown at this point. I said, Kyle, I can appreciate that. I cannot buy this as an investment. I will not add it to my investment portfolio. I won't tell people I have stocks, bonds, a little crypto, and a Beanie Baby. I refuse to do that. <laughs> it, it, it ain't going to happen. And we make our way out the door. And I'm thinking, home free, dad won. I go to step off the curb. I feel another tap on the shoulder. What now, Kyle? He says, daddy, do you know what next month is? I said, no, what is next month? He said, next month is my birthday and the best birthday present you could ever buy me in the whole wide world. And if you love me, daddy, you know I love you and it's going to go up in value. Won't you please buy me the best birthday present? He's merging all these clothes together. Won't you do it, daddy? I looked at him, I said, Kyle, I'll buy it. <laughs> I sheepishly walked back in the store with him. I said, I'll take that Beanie Baby for $65. Took him out to the car, put him in his car seat, looked him in the eyes and said, Kyle, I always want to remember what just took place. That if you want something so bad in your life and you continue to try different things until you get your desired result, you'll be so, so successful. But don't try this on dad anymore. I teach this stuff. I know what you're up to. And that was a lesson that unfortunately many people lose because they think, you know, the, the statistics on salespeople, I don't have them off the top of my head, like 60% quit after the first call that they get the first no. And then another X number percent quit right. after the second call. And the sale is made on the eighth call when, after you follow up eight times. And so many people quit because of rejection and persistence in business 
and in life. So I can't express enough. And entrepreneurs know this, but you and and in order to make that work, because let's face it, when you fail, even temporarily, it's a sock in the stomach. It doesn't feel good. Yeah. Okay. And I call that a battery drainer. So what you need to do, and this ties in, you need to surround yourself with people that are battery chargers, those who support you, mm-hmm. encourage you, hold you accountable. No one, no one. We are not an independent people. We are an interdependent people. We depend. If we want to reach our peak level performance and sustain that at a high level, just look at a sports team. They're constantly supporting each other. When they have a bad play, they go over, it's okay. Have a short memory, get rid of it. Let's move on, move on and move up. So to surround yourself with people that are on the same trajectory, have the same mindset, the same goals and vision for the same reason, the why, that's what's going to help you elevate your game and stay at an elevated state when you're surrounding yourself with a group of people that believe in you, where you're going and how you're going to get there. Boy, I did a lot of talking. It's your, you, you go, I'm going to take a sip of water. So you are the guest, please. Uh, oh. But uh, yeah, definitely the, the importance of the, the power of peers uh, and that famous quote from Jim Rohn, you are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. Choose wisely, right? So, and, and definitely um, the environment plays a very important role. And instead of being a victim of the environment, we can control the environment by exposing ourselves to the right environments to be able to perform better. And that, that's a great lesson. They're going from a victim to being able to identify what is the environment where we can perform uh, the best at. Well, you actually just said something that, that I'm, and I'm so glad you said that. It's so perceptive. I like to say, because I love uh, alliterations from victim to victor, from victim. To victim. Wow. So, 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 so Jim Rohn, who obviously is phenomenal, one of the best, he's Tony Robbins mentor. And Tony, I believe is, is truly one of the best. And that's, I get a lot from him and Zig Ziglar. Those are the people who really influenced and shaped how I deliver my content. Zig is fun and I like to fun and tells great stories. Hopefully I aspire to be like him and Tony understands human behavior. And I I love that he goes deep. And that's what I, in a simple way, in a way that people can understand and then execute on, which is, you know, all that matters. But you said something that adds to Jim Rohn's quote, because Jim got it half right. I mean, it's 100% correct, but it's only half the story. And here's why. He said, in essence, we're the sum total of five closest people we hang out with. True. No argument. 100%. Okay. However, we also are the sum total of what we hang out with. And you said it perfectly. And I appreciate you saying that, Mike, because when I coach people, I say, what does your environment? And, I, and I'm here to tell you, I believe the environment is as important and perhaps more important than the people. And here's why I believe that to be so. I coach some of the executives I work with on health and fitness. I heard a great Indian proverb the other day. Remember, I'm a huge quote person. I share these with people all the time because I think a few words can have huge meaning. The Indian proverb said this, American Indian proverb. It said, a healthy person has a thousand wishes. A sick person has one. So you can't, if, if part of your values, remember the last value that I have is to be in the best mental, physical, and spiritual shape to serve my other four values. If my tank is empty, I can't, I can't do what my other values are. Right. You know, when you fly on an airplane and the flight attendant is, is giving instructions, 
They say, in the event we lose air pressure, an oxygen mask is going to drop down. And if you're sitting with a child, put it on yourself first. Counterintuitive for a parent who loves their children to the ends of the earth. My child's gasping for air, buddy. I'm going to put this on my child. But no, that's wrong. You can't be there to support your child unless you're fully supported, unless you have oxygen in your body. So it's so important that we take care of ourselves first, that we love ourselves first, that we're healthy and, and, and full of vitality. And we think clearly. Well, all those things aren't going to be true unless you take care of yourself with what you eat and, 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 and what you do workout-wise, you know, exercise-wise. It's, it's, you know, these things don't happen on their own. Absolutely. You know, disease is out there because people don't, for the most part, people don't take care of themselves. They don't eat the right things. Okay. And they don't see that as a priority, as a top value. And that's one of my core values in all my customers. Are you stretching? What's your morning routine look like? I go into habits, rituals, and routines. And everyone listening to this, if you, if you don't have a strong ritual, habits, rituals, and routines. So to your point, Mike, in my office right now, I'm working out of my home, in my home office, you will see bands, stretch bands, exercise bands on the door. Now, why are they not in a closet? Because out of sight, out of mind. Insight, <laughs> in mind. Okay? Where you stare, you steer. Where you stare, you steer. What are you looking at? If you get caught in social media, then that will be your day and what you're thinking about. You know, okay. thoughts are things. And that's a whole nother subject about self-talk and the 50 to right. 70,000 thoughts that go through our head, 65% a day, 65% of which are negative. Are you thinking about what you're thinking about? What is triggering those thoughts? Well, I got news for you. There's water on my desk. There's bands over there. In front of my desk are two dumbbells, weights, because today is curl day. So my wife says, you're going to trip over them. I said, exactly. Put things <laughs> in your path that you will trip over that will remind you, that will poke you in the forehead and say, you got to do this today because you said it was an important part of your life. So out of sight, out of mind, inside in mind, where you stare, you steer. Everything that you want, if you want to change something in your life, a habit, a ritual, routine, that can't be put away in a book. You know, I, I talk about people highlight books and those are the important things. You know, they get a book on personal or professional development or they read a book in their company and they highlight it and they train on it. And then they put the highlighted book away on the shelf. Well, we know we only learn through reinforcement and, and continually saying and doing something. The more sense we get, we know that's the, the way we learn as human beings is by repetition. Why would Steph Curry in the NBA take a thousand shots or Tiger Woods take a thousand uh, chip shots? Why do they do that if they're the best in the world? That's why they're the best in the world. We know repetition creates greatness and gets us better. But yet we don't apply that in business. We read something, we have a class. And that's why when I created the huddles, I said, you can't have a keynote. I don't even want to do a keynote for a company without something to, what happens at the event, we know will not happen after the event unless there's some re continual reinforcement to drive those points so people actually are aware of it, intentional, are kept uh, accountable and actually do it. So there's a call to action and they understand it and they, they understand the value of it, the importance of it. Unless that happens, it's meaningless. It's a waste of time. No disrespect to anyone who does it, but it's a wake-up call that nothing will be learned unless it's repeated. As Tom Hopkins, a great sales trainer said, practice, drill, rehearse. Practice, drill, rehearse. 
practice drill rehearse. And you know what, if that sounds repetitive, practice drill rehearse, it's meant to be, because that's how we learn. Right. And I, I, I don't want to preach. I know I sometimes sound a little preachy, but I believe in this so fervently and live it in my own lifestyle that certainly far from perfect, because I'm always, my goal is to always get better, but I want to be an example to my clients that this stuff works regardless of your age and regardless of where you're at business-wise or relationship-wise, there's, there's always a way to make it better, but that's a process right. just like in business. And there's things that are most important that you start with, the foundational things, the building blocks of what allow you to become better so everything else gets better. But you had said it best, Mike, with your environment. Yes, your people that you hang out with and your environment both have to support your values, your vision, your goals. And if that's all consistent and congruent, you'll be giving yourself the best shot. All we're talking about is percentage points. You can do it without that. But if we want the highest likelihood of success and we want to accelerate it and maximize it, that's the way to do it by keeping, know what it is, keep it in front of you, have people that hold you accountable to it, and then and encourage and support you along the way. And it makes me think that, uh, especially for, for the ones who are listening to us are thinking, yeah, uh, being a great leader is, is an art job, right? And, and at the same time, it's good to say that uh, there are no perfect leaders. There are no perfect human beings. There are no perfect organizations. There are no perfect cultures. So and that's what you were saying. It's, it's always possible to get better. And especially now, if you are listening to all of this and you feel that you are not doing a lot of what has been saying here, and maybe there are some years that you have been applying all of this and they were super motivated and maybe this is not a great timing uh, for you. It's also important to reflect on a quote that I they also uh, listen from you, uh, which is comfortable is the killer of success, right? Uh, so it's if you are uncomfortable listening to us, it is a good thing. First, it, 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 it means that you are able to improve and get better. Uh, and second, it probably also means that you are trying to get better. So if you are uncomfortable, that's amazing. And being comfortable, being uncomfortable, that, that's a great uh, trait of a leader, right? Yeah, yeah. That, and that's so true. I want you to know an innate part of who we are, our wiring, our DNA as a human being, it's something called our homeostasis. And our homeostasis is natural in all of us as human beings that if our temperature rises, our, our body temperature rises, and in our being, we have things that go on that try to get the body temperature back to normal, back to normal, back to comfort. If you have something that you're doing and it's painful, the reason you feel pain is because it's your body telling you don't do this anymore because it's painful. <laughs> so it's it's natural, even in, instinctively for you know since human beings first walked the face of this earth, fight or flight. That we know that people will change when they hit rock bottom. Okay, so comfort is indeed the killer of success. And unless you, you will never start working out. You'll never start eating better unless you really, and if you think about it, anytime you ever went on a diet, you went on a diet because you say, you know what? I look like a fat crap. I look <laughs> exactly. fat and disgusting. And I had a customer tell me that. And I said, no, you look actually worse than that. And he said, I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't be saying that. I said, no, you should be. I said, there's two drivers in all human behavior, avoidance of pain or gaining a pleasure. Pain is the greater of the two emotions. 
That's why people change, not when they're when they can see the top, when they hit rock bottom. When the, it's, it's excruciatingly painful. Here's the thing. When you can create pain around your why, as Simon Sinek said, the bigger the why, the bigger the try. You say, why must I change now? Not watch the language use, not I should change now, or I'd like to change now. Watch those words you say to yourself. I must change now. I'm going to change now. In fact, I'm changing on this date and I'm going to be doing this. Okay. Then get accountability partners and to hold you accountable to that. And, and that will just totally drive your execution and your actions to the next level with an accountability partner. All studies show that. It's crazy how much having an accountability partner will help. But here's the thing. When you feel that pain and that pain gets great enough, that's when you are driven to take action. And what happens when you get off the diet, interestingly enough, is you don't feel so, you don't look so bad and feel so bad anymore. So you start cheating a little bit and you get back on that cycle. Okay. So here's what I did. I coached my stepson. Okay. Remember I share with you where you stare, you steer. So you want those painful, whatever you want to change in your life or in your business. Remember, you need to change it as a leader. How do I get better as a leader? I read this in a book, but I'm not doing it. Okay, how do I do it? Well, first of all, I have a little note here. Put a little note. So you want to keep a note in front of you. And it could be on where you look often, on your computer screen, by your, on a mirror, on a refrigerator. And my stepson came up with a, the best idea. My stepson is in a situation, he gave me permission to say this, that his income is not matching his expenses. And he's a very, he, he loves living in a, he's in a beautiful apartment in Virginia. And I told him that in one year, based on where things are going, in one year, he's going to be kicked out of his apartment. He won't be making enough money and he'll be living in a place, he's very clean, in a place that is dilapidated. He's going to be living with five other people and he doesn't like living with a lot of people because they're not clean like him. And, and he hates the noise. And I said that, and we went online. This is great. This is just like a few weeks ago. We went online and picked the most disgusting picture, he and I, of a place that's disgustingly dirty and cluttered and everything that he hates, he despises, that turns his stomach. And the more it turns your stomach, the more likely you are going to change. But what happens if that's a distant memory in the moment when you're thinking about, should I do this or shouldn't I? Should I work out or shouldn't I? If you're not thinking about that disgusting person you feel like or look like, you're not going to do it. I'd rather sit on the couch and have a beer. Who wouldn't? Of course. That's and watch TV, watch a sports game. So he put as a screensaver on his phone that picture. And I gave him an app that you can put a text with the picture. And it says, in one year, I'll be living here unless I cut my expenses and get a second job. And that's it. And every, how many times do you look at your phone? How many times do you look at your phone every day? And every single day, 10, 15, 20 times a day, he's, and this is what he said on, I coach him every Saturday at 10 a.m. What he says to me, he says, Mike, I can't tell you how much money I saved this weekend because I went to look at my phone. Damn, I saw that picture. I see, he said, I hate it. <laughs> it makes me feel. And I also love it because it's changing my behavior. And I think that's a great lesson, a great, hack on what we need to do to keep those images in front of us that are devastatingly painful that we know with certainty and reality they will happen if you smoke know with reality that's why commercials on tv about smoking now are no longer smoking could be detrimental to your health no it shows mothers dying with tracheotomies and kids catering to their mother 
the more painful they can make that look, the more likely people are going to look at that and say, that could be, and more importantly, will be me unless I change and, and, and begin changing now. And that's how we change, by creating that. And if the pain's not there yet, you can create that pain that you know it will be there, and that will drive you to a new behavior and a new and better life. Michael, we are getting, unfortunately, to the last segment of the show because I can feel that we could stay here for, for hours and with so many things to, to share, having a lot of fun. But we always ask to our guests uh, a set of free, quick, self-reflective uh, questions. And I'd like to, uh, to have you joining uh, and, and sharing your experience about those as well. So if you'd have the opportunity to have a, a coffee or a tea or uh, something healthy with yourself uh, at the beginning of your career, uh, what advice would you offer to your younger self? I know you've never heard me this quiet, right? <laughs> that's a self-reflective question so well right, done right, right dude you're thinking did we lose audio on mike or what <laughs> check, check mike, michael's pulse here what's what's wrong with that um i would say present moment awareness which which goes hand in hand with gratitude be grateful every day for what you have for the blessings you have uh, especially when we put things in perspective to other people, you look at Turkey and the, the, the horrific uh, uh, earthquake they had and, and people that live in Haiti. I mean, we were so richly blessed and our problems are so minuscule compared to the rest of the world. And I got that later in, in, in my, you know, fifties and sixties, you know, just wake up every day and be grateful and thankful. And when you do that, you, it automatically lifts your spirits and you bring that to other people. That'd be not, that would that's what I would say. Be more aware and intentional about how blessed you are. And the second one is, what are you the most proud of on your journey so far? We made it again. So the, the obvious is, is happy. <laughs> These are very thought-provoking questions. I, I appreciate that. Uh, why don't you answer that? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no. <laughs> exactly. Sometimes the guests also ask myself. the same with all of us, of course. No, that wasn't what you sent me, Mike. I'm going to be it. No, that's fine. I'm, I'm okay with that. Uh, what I'm most proud of is, uh, now I'm going to be a salesman with this answer. So I'm going to give you a run-on sentence because it's not one thing. Improving as a husband, as a man of God, and as a father. Being the Love best... It being the best man of God, the best father and the best husband I could be and going on that journey and improving in all those areas. And it relates super well with everything that we have been discussing on, on this show. And, and finally, the last question is a funny one, which is worst advice ever received? The worst advice that I ever received? Yes. Wow. I'm sure you read a lot on, on your experiences. Uh, yeah. working for others and then starting your own company, uh, advisors that you had, friends that you had, uh, people that maybe were not very aligned with your values, just helping you to think. Uh. Yeah, <laughs> I, I probably tuned those people. You know, part of the thing is I tuned those people out. Exactly. No, that's your, <laughs> so that's, that's why you don't have worst advice. <laughs> right, don't, don't let your limited beliefs become mine. You keep them to yourself. Exactly. I'm I, believe, I believe in this. Uh, worst advice I ever got um, that I listened to or didn't listen to, or just worst advice I ever got that I took. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, no, that you listen to it and never, a lot of times it happens in the show that you didn't choke that one and you are super grateful that you followed your own intuition and your gut feeling and you didn't follow that, that advice. You are grateful that your younger self didn't follow that advice. <laughs> right, right. Um, you know what? I, I really think you, you stumped me. I know this is in an hour and a half show. I think you stumped me on that one. I, uh, uh, I worst advice that I never took. Uh, no worries. There is no pressure. No, no, I, I, I don't, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Uh, which is great. Which is great. It's, it's, it, 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 it also seems that there is not no any uh, anger or resentment in you about anything that has been shared with you. Which I'm not saying that the other guests have any kind of resentment about what has been told to them. <laughs> I'm not putting any anyone in the, in the line here. If, if, if it was something I could have learned from, I remember those things. I tell people that you know life is like being in your car, you know, there's a rear mirror and a, and a uh, windshield. The river mirror is to look at your past and, and the things that you learn from and also things that were good, you know, positive memories, but it's small. There's a reason it's small. There's a reason the windshield is large because you want to be thinking forward and going forward. And, and right. that's where my, where I project all the time is what can I do moving forward, but still having the river mirror there knowing and the steering wheel and the gas, where am I turning? How fast am I going? And those things. So I may have blocked that out because uh, I just know that bad lessons are always share. People are always sharing things that you shouldn't do. I just don't remember any bad lesson that was shared with me that caused me to, that I didn't take or I did take that. I, yeah, I just can't recall that, but uh, good. If you have them and we, most people do, I just can't think of it. It's always good to, to learn from it and grow from it. <laughs> Absolutely. Michael, thanks so much for your time. It was been a pleasure to have you uh, on the show. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be here. And I hope everyone got value out of this today. And I wish you the very best, my friend. Likewise, uh, Michael. And I will close the show with your quote. The bad news is time flies. The good news is you are the pilot. So I, we hope that you got a lot of value out of the, uh, the tips that uh, Michael shared with you and his experience of life. Uh, I really appreciate you making the time. See you soon and keep scaling. <laughs>